and welcome to this episode of The Inside. If you're new here, uh, The Inside podcast is a series produced by SNHU or Southern New Hampshire University students exploring how current issues intersect with business, government, and society. So first I want to say welcome uh, and this episode, it's part of a two-part series of episodes We'll be focusing mostly on parole and probation in the United States justice system. Uh, So to first introduce myself, I'm Emily. I'm Rachel. I'm Caitlin. I'm Sam. And I'm Devin. So we're your group of five uh, and basically you're gonna hear us kind of first go over some facts to start off with to set the table for our discussion, and then we're going to jump off. We hope you enjoy. Uh, So starting off, I'm going to throw it at you, Rachel, honestly. Okay, so um, starting off, we kind of just wanted to go over like the difference between discretionary and mandatory parole. So most people think of parole as discretionary parole. So an inmate gets out of prison early and serves some part of the time Um, of the remaining sentence under supervision. And then there's mandatory parole, which is, it comes um, after the prison sentence. So with discretionary parole, you're getting some, I mean, quote, time off, but not really, of your sentence. Um, And then with mandatory parole, it's after your sentence. So you're reintegrating back into society. Uh, Parole is a privilege uh, in the eyes of the justice system. It's not a right. And... A lot of typical laws don't like even really guarantee parole. So authorities can really say no to an inmate getting paroled if they feel that they're dangerous or they're not ready to reenter society. So even if that's like a part of your sentencing, doesn't necessarily mean um, that you're going to get parole. It all depends on what the council thinks or um, what the board thinks overall. So it can be like, you get it, you get parole for good behavior, but also it can at the same time be like after your sentence, you still need to serve this parole as like a continuation. Yes. So that's the difference between mandatory and discretionary. So discretionary, again, they get out early, they serve some part of that sentence um, under supervision. It's also interesting to note that if you violate your parole, your parole may be revoked and you can be returned to prison, but you, um, You can also be ordered to spend more time on parole, but the length of that parole cannot be extended beyond the term of your original sentence. Uh, Yeah, I I agree. And I was researching that, that there are rules that come with being on parole, such as you need to maintain an, um, an employment to show that you are working and working for a better life, as well as have a residence, whether that be living at a halfway house or with a family member. And then what I also thought was interesting was that you're not allowed to leave the geographic area without permission. So I was like, well, how do they know that if someone leaves? But then I was going forward in my um, research and that your parole officer can make unannounced visits, which I think Kind of is a smart idea because you never know when you're going to get a shakedown in prison. Yeah, I was just I was just going to mention, um, Caitlin, you just hit on it, but yeah, the parole parole officers can actually just kind of drop in at any time they want, 
And that can definitely be a good control measure to make sure the parolee is doing everything by the book. Um, but Rachel, did you have any thoughts or any like info on the parole officers and how that works or? I didn't look so much into that, but I do have some conditions of parole. So um, kind of like we mentioned, some of those conditions could be regularly meeting with or contacting your parole officer, obviously refraining from committing any crimes, avoiding the company of known criminals or gangs, um, and other conditions meant to keep the parolee out of trouble. Some like travel restrictions, obtaining psychiatric care, which I thought was very interesting that you may um, need to obtain psychiatric care. I personally think that can be a good idea in some cases. Um, there's also could be a requirement to leave the state or be deported and also submitting to electronic home confinement, which I'm assuming they mean as like an ankle bracelet, which I'm sure everybody has heard of those. Um, and then also agreeing to a warrantless search. So that was the one that kind of really struck me. Um, your property can be searched without a, war without a warrant, which obviously would not be legal unless you were on parole. Um, so I understand why that's a law, um, but I just thought it was interesting because obviously somebody who's not on parole, law enforcement pretty much needs a warrant to enter their residence and things of that nature. Yeah, so I think it's kind of clear and interesting that you are giving up some of your rights in understanding that you're gonna be on parole. So that was something I didn't know about beforehand. That's interesting. Something that I, not to like cut Sam off because he was definitely about to make a point, but um, what Caitlin said about halfway houses, it, it got me thinking, because I, I, there must be a lot of these people that are suddenly thrust out of this very institutionalized place they're in and they they don't have a job, they now have a criminal background, maybe they don't really have any savings when they went into prison and they just spent however many much time unemployed in uh incarcerated let's say that uh in like halfway houses what i think of it a lot of times is i think of drug users and like trying to become clean and like imagine being a prisoner that is finally getting a level of freedom you're gonna get your parole but you don't have any familiar support and you're losing the institutional uh what like structure that you've been in and then if you struggled with drug abuse suddenly you're thrust into a place where people might be using drugs every day i it, it's crazy to me i understand why but it's crazy that there are people that leave such a strong institution with absolutely nothing to catch them when they leave definitely i agree and it's interesting i was doing research on parole and probation officers and like their main duties and responsibilities and a big part of what they're supposed to do is to like provide resources for formerly incarcerated people like right when they get out in terms of like finding housing stable housing a job and stuff like that but so many times uh, these there's over four million people in the united states on some sort of probation or parole and so there's not as there's not a lot of probation and parole officers so uh, these people are being overwhelmed with cases and majority of the time um, they're not giving the care uh, that these formerly incarcerated people need to be able to successfully transition back into um, society. And so that's why there's such a high rate of people being put back in prison and having their probation or parole revoked uh, because there's just not enough resources for these people once they leave prison. I actually found some more um, information on violations. So 
kind of what you were talking about, Sam, like it's, it can be hard to adjust. Um, and I was reading about how the parole violation hearing differs a lot from a trial. And the fact that the prosecution doesn't need to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the claimed violations occurred. Um, the website that I was looking on, NOLO, it's a law website. It says that, in fact, the, if the basis for the revocation is a new offense and the offense has not been charged or even when the parolee has been acquitted of the charge, the board may still consider the incident as a basis for revocation. So even if they're acquitted of their violation, they could still get caught up on um, that charge, which I think is a huge issue. I think that you should always have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that something happened, especially when you're playing around with somebody's life. Um, and also on top of that, the US Supreme Court has not ruled that every parolee must be represented by counsel if they want to. So some state constitutions provide these, um, provide counsel and some state statutes like do require that, but not all of them do. So when no state constitution or statute applies, the question of the appointed counsel actually needs to be decided by the parole board on a case-by-case -case basis. So you're not guaranteed counsel, um, like every other- No. I thought it was a law that um, we have the right to a lawyer. Whatever. But you lose that right when you- I. Well, I, I'm interested to know, not that I know you're not an expert, Rachel, so I'm not like, give me the answers. But um, what I kind of want to know is, does that have to do with the level of like the offense that was committed? Because I know that one of the flip coins of uh, what's it called decriminalization of like a crime. So like when you take incarceration off the table and it's like a fine or some other type of punishment, um, then you don't need to be guaranteed counsel. It's only when incarceration, like you could be imprisoned, is on the table um, that you are actually guaranteed the right to counsel by our government. That's interesting. Um, I'm sure that's probably the case. Again, it says that this is decided by the parole board on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, but I would argue that even a fine while you're out on parole could be devastating to you when trying to recover. Um, especially when it's incredibly difficult to find jobs, um, especially during COVID times, it's even more difficult. I, exactly. Like uh, a lot of people listening to this podcast and us as well, like we're not in that position. Like there is somebody out there that can't pay, pay that, pay that fine. And if they can't pay it, they're going to go and serve time. Oh, for sure. Especially when they are might find a job that pays well we're in new hampshire so what 725 an hour have to pay for housing food now their feet that's just what job it, could they yeah, get yeah not that's impossible and some of them they may have kids so then they have to be paying for their kids or some of them may be having to pay for child support so like the fine is just like a little kick in the face so I read another interesting statistic. Um, this is on PEW, it's another law website, and it says that one in 55 US adults, nearly 2%, was on probation or parole in 2016, the most recent year of which data is available. A population increase of 239% since 1980. 
So this is actually interesting. It mentions New Hampshire. It says, though rates vary considerably by state from 1 in 18 in Georgia to 1 in 168 in New Hampshire. So I thought that was a very interesting statistic. Um, and it kind of brings up probation as well. And I know Sam did a lot of research specifically on probation. Um, so we're gonna try to kind of transition into that subject. So Sam, do you happen to know the difference between um, probation and parole? Yeah, absolutely. So probation uh, is when um, you, instead of in lieu of going to jail uh, or in lieu of being sentenced to prison, um, you're sentenced to probation. So it happens with less serious offenses. Uh, instead of um, getting sentenced to prison, you're getting sentenced to probation. Uh, it can last, uh, there's no specific timeline on how long uh, you are on probation for. Uh, essentially, it is a sentence. You're just not going to jail. Um, similar to parole, you have a parole officer that um, manages you and is responsible for overseeing what you're doing. Um, and uh, there are times where um, you're required to check in with your probation officer, you're subject to unannounced searches, um, and at any time your probation can be revoked and you could be sentenced, uh, you could be moved back into prison. Um, so it's similar to parole, it's just parole happens uh, after you've served some sort of prison time where probation is, uh, you don't really serve prison time. Hmm, that's that's actually interesting. That's interesting. Um, I did not know that. I like I like that it doesn't automatically mean you're going to prison if you commit a crime. That's kind of a good way to help people rehabilitate a little bit or lessen up like the crowding of the prison system. So I think I honestly didn't know what that was before diving into this research with you. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, it is. It's definitely interesting. Um, but like probation, there is a high, or like parole, there is a high recidivism rate. Uh, over the past, um, from data from the Department of Justice, I believe since 2005, uh, within 30% of people released uh, either on probation or parole, uh, within three years, they 30% of people will um, commit some sort of crime or be resentenced back into prison. 16% uh, of those people were resentenced back uh, into either uh, more prison time or longer probation or parole. And then 14% of those people had their um, probation or parole revoked and they were uh, incarcerated. A quick note from those who did not pick up from the context of listening, recidivism is the tendency of a convicted criminal to reoffend, basically somebody committing another crime and getting dragged back in. But please, Caitlin, continue. That's just so crazy to me, those statistics, which reminds me of what Devin was talking about earlier, which he wants to talk about, about um, rehabilitation or punishment, because is it really rehabilitation if, like you said, 33% of people are committing a crime again and going back to jail? Or is it punishment? So. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of something that we've all we've all kind of struggled with that question when it comes to the prison system, the justice system in this country. Is is our goal as a society to punish these prisoners or these people that have committed crimes, or is the goal to rehabilitate them to have a more better functioning society? Um, I would like to hear what you know you guys think about that, but in my opinion, it seems like our system is a little too focused on punishing people as opposed to getting them back into society. So what do you, what do you guys think about that one? Yeah, Devin, I absolutely agree with you. I think um, you look at like 
prisons in America and it's always like overcrowded and like there's a lack of basic human rights like I think the beginning of um, the COVID-19 pandemic like uh, prisoners weren't required to wear masks there was no sort of social distancing um, even uh, the Valley Street Jail in Manchester where SNU is they weren't required to wear masks uh, prisoners and staff were required to wear masks until um, December, this previous December. So I think that there's a lot of uh, human or human right uh, violations within prisons that uh, make it more of a punishment rather than a focus on rehabilitation. Um, just quick note after what Sam says is for my business business ethics class, I did a little bit of research on Lori Laughlin and the type of prison she went to compared to like every other prison in the world. And that was definitely more of like a rehabilitation space and I've like never heard of such a thing all I hear is like prisons are overcrowded like Sam says in COVID no one's wearing a mask but Lori Laughlin is just like in a rehabilitation center where people are in jail like in a cell with like 10 other people because they had the smallest amount of weed when she paid so much to get her kids into a school that she they did not. Yeah, that's going to that's gonna open up the question of white-collar crime versus blue-collar crime. And the white-collar crime always gets the nice, luxurious rehabilitation centers, whereas blue-collar crime, like you said, Caitlin, like they get slammed into this overcrowded area. So there's so much, there's so much that we can discuss about that as well. Oh, definitely. Not trying to slam your example of Lori Laughlin or anything, because uh, she did commit a crime or whatever, whatever. But there's even worse people that are have... Yeah. Literally. smaller sentences than those committing like low level uh what's the term i don't i don't know low level crimes basically petty, because petty crime. they have the money for the lawyers they know how to play the game and they can afford to get tied up in court for a while where are these people lower income whatever the situation they don't have that exactly good point I think another interesting way to look at it, if it's punishment or rehabilitation, is the amount of people that we have in our prison systems and that are incarcerated. I feel like in this country, we're very quick to sentence somebody to prison or jail time, um, where in other countries, uh, it's significantly less. Like uh, in 2018, Canada only had 38,000 people incarcerated, uh, and they had... Um, you know, the U.S. right now alone has 4.3 million people on some sort of supervised release, so probation or parole. So you can just see that there's such a drastic uh, amount of people in the U.S. that are dealing with the justice system um, compared to other developed countries like Canada, where they have a much higher success rate of their probation slash parole uh, completion rates, and they also have significantly less people incarcerated uh, than we do. So there are definitely a lot of different points of view um, and ways to look at it. I'm sure like everybody has their own different opinions, but it is definitely interesting to see like compared side by side different countries and the way that they handle it, um, just to see how we can be handling things better. So Emily, I don't know if you wanted to um, finish this up with like some broad strokes. Um, 
Yes, I loved our conversation. Uh, There's so many great facts were brought to the table today that create a great basis for our conversation going forward about the justice system. And particularly uh, everything we discussed today about probation and parole and how that functions within this system sets us up so well for next week. Uh, So we hope you'll join us for our next episode where we'll be talking with Rennell, who is a small business owner from Connecticut. Uh, We will be talking with him about his business, uh, Juicery, that he opened, as well as his experience with the justice system uh, since he was formerly uh, an incarcerated individual. So we'd love um, you to join us next week for that great conversation with Rennell about his story. And uh, please follow us on, uh, what are the three? Yes, Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Uh, Please tune in with us next week. Bye.